0: I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm a little bit distracted this morning. I, I got some news about my grandfather uh, yesterday and some more bad news this morning. So I, I just, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has things going on in their lives that's, that might distract them from, from hearing from God's word. And so I just want to stop and, and give us an opportunity to pray and ask that God would take whatever distractions are are on our minds that are keeping us from being able to focus on Him this morning, uh, that He would remove those so so that for the next few minutes we could just really focus in on God's Word. And uh, you'll forgive me if uh, I get a little emotional, but uh, let's let's just go to God in prayer. Lord, we're here this morning to worship you, and we want to hear from you. We want to experience your, your presence, your empowering presence in our lives. And so I ask that as we, as we come this morning, whatever is, is on our mind or on our hearts that may distract us from your presence, Lord, would you just allow us to set that aside for a few moments? Whether it's, it's a family member who's who's close to death or, or illness or bills that we have to pay or, or work that we have to complete by tomorrow, deadlines that we have to meet, whatever it is, God, just let us focus completely on you for the next few moments, Lord. May we experience your peace in, in all of these areas. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're, we're going to be uh, beginning a, a three-week series looking at the values of River Rock Bible Church, and, and we've adopted a very simple value statement, love God and love people. And, and we've taken this, and, and it's really a summary of a summary of all the Old Testament. So what we have, what we find in the Gospels is that a few times Jesus is asked about what is the most important commandment, or what is the greatest commandment. And, and all three times he replies, I'm going to summarize again, basically love God and love people. And so we've, we've adopted this as, as our values um, at, at River Rock Bible Church, because it really does, it summarizes all the law and all the prophets, and and uh, we're going to look, um, you can find, if you want to know where to find those passages, you can find them in Matthew chapter 22, and again in Mark chapter 12, but we're actually going to look, um, for the next three weeks, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, because this one, which we'll look at in a little bit different, but this um, this interaction with Jesus, where he where he talks about loving God and loving people, is a little bit different than the other two. So if you would, just open your Bible and turn with me to Luke 25. Um, and we're going to go through, through verse 28 this morning. Uh, and we'll be in these, two, these couple of verses for the next few weeks. And then the following week, following week we're going to look at the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, Jesus answers the question, well, who is my neighbor? We're going to take a look at that after we get through the the love God and love people. So let's just focus in this morning on, on Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now there's a, there's a couple of things that set this encounter apart from the encounters that we find in Matthew and Mark. You see, in Matthew and Mark, we get the sense that the man who is coming to Jesus is, is genuinely coming because he wants to learn from Jesus when he says, what is the, the most important commandment or what is the greatest commandment? But we're told here that this man coming and, and asking uh, even bigger question what must I do to inherit eternal life? We see that underneath this, there's, there's a motive, that he's wanting to test Jesus. Now this man, it tells us he was an expert in the law. He was a lawyer, not the kind of lawyer that, that goes to court and tries to get you out of a traffic ticket or, or you know, tries to get you money when you get hit by somebody else. He's not that kind of lawyer. No, he was, he was a lawyer that would have studied all the Old Testament law. Sometimes called the Law of Moses. And the Law of Moses was just, it was much more than just the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, you can find 613 individual commandments that were given to the nation of Israel that were to inform them on how they were to live their lives. This man was an expert in that law. He would have known that law forward and backwards. He would have have studied it daily. He would have tried to live it out perfectly. And so when he encounters someone like Jesus, who comes along and says, all you need to do to inherit eternal life is believe in God and believe also in me, the guy's got a little bit of issue with that. He says, no, Jesus, you're making it too easy. I, 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 need, to, I need to check you out here. Tell me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because, because I can't handle the fact that, that God would take it out of my hands. There's got to be something that I can do. What can I do? Tell me what I can do. And Jesus takes that question and he turns it back on him and he says, well, what does the law say and, and how do you read it? He says, you're the expert, you tell me. And the man replies, to love the Lord your God, he, he, he begins by quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you, if you want to look, um, he picks up in, in verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, but uh, the, the Shema was something that would have been recited by devout Jews every morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so this is how he replies in the first part of his answer. And then he goes on to to quote Leviticus 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 18. And he says, the second part is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, after the man answers, he says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, for some people, that might be a little bit confusing because you know, Jesus has been teaching all along that the way to eternal life, to inherit the kingdom of God, is by believing in him, right? So how could he now say, do this and, and you'll, you'll live, you'll, you'll gain eternal life? Those don't seem to match up. Well, Jesus isn't changing his theology. He's not changing the, the way that we gain eternal life, what he teaches on that. But he was trying to instruct this lawyer He's trying to bring this man to a point where he recognizes that, that his own way, if Jesus' way is too simple, this man would have to recognize that his way is impossible. Because no one can perfectly keep all of the law all of the time. That's the point. That's why Jesus says, do this and you'll live. The implication is, do this perfectly all the time and you won't have a problem. God will accept you. Well, has anyone ever messed up? Has anyone besides me not loved God perfectly? Has anyone not loved your neighbor perfectly? If you've got a brother or sister, I know, I know your hand should be up, right? We've all messed up. We've all failed at that. But rather than this man acknowledging, you know what, Jesus, I, I can't do this. No one can do that. Tell me, tell me what needs to happen for me to gain eternal life since we can't live up to this standard. Instead of responding like that, Says the man, the verse twenty nine says that he was seeking to justify himself. He asks, "Well, who is my neighbor?" We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. So we have in, in in this this passage here, it's it's a little bit different, but it's good because I think as we go through it, we we want to continually remind ourselves that that Jesus is not teaching that we're saved through our works. We're not saved by keeping the law, but in actuality, as Paul tells us, that the law was given. To point us to our need for a savior, right? So I think all of us, pretty much all of us raised our hand earlier. We admitted, yes, I don't love, love God perfectly all the time. Yes, I don't love my neighbor perfectly all the time. I can't do it by myself. I need someone else. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. And so when we recognize that, we recognize that, that we need someone who did perfectly fulfill the law. And that person was Jesus Christ. And we, we trust in him. But that doesn't mean that we just ignore the law. No, that gives us the opportunity to now now respond to God in a way that honors Him and that demonstrates our love for Him. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to dive into uh, how do we love God? What does it look like to love God with, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength? And, and I'm going to take them a little bit out of order, but it makes sense. Uh, when, when we get to it, you'll see why I've, I've gone out of order and, Uh, from the text. The text has strength first and then mind, but we're going to put mind first and then strength. So the first thing we want to look at is the heart. And loving God with all your heart has to do with with your affections, what you treasure most. Now, I think we could all agree, I don't know, uh, I've never met this person, but as far as my experience, no one wants to live a passive life, Right? No one wants to be the dude that wakes up at the crack of noon, sits on the couch, watches Judge Judy, and is covered in, in Cheeto crumbs, right? We all aspire to be more. We, we all want to have a passion. We want to be filled with something. We want our heart to be, to be captivated by something. We have this deep, deep longing to, to experience fulfillment. And God knows that because God's the one who put that in each and every one of us. All right, are any of you familiar with the, uh, the Tough Mudder or, or the Spartan races? Anybody ever heard of those? Yeah, those are, those are, if you're not familiar with them, they're not your normal 5K or 10K, right? Normal 5K, 10K, maybe you train a little bit, you go out, you jog, you cross the finish line, you get your orange slice and your t-shirt and you go home. Well, th- these challenge races are really just giant obstacle courses, and the way it works is that you're running maybe 6 to, to 12 miles, but along the course there are these huge obstacles that, that you can't complete on your own. Now, you're competing as an individual, but you're depending on the other competitors to help you get over that obstacle. And they're, they're dependent on you to help them get over that obstacle. But here's the kicker. You know, when, when you stop to help someone over the obstacle, that means that you're wasting time right? You're not moving forward. Your time is getting slower and slower. The more people you help over that obstacle, the slower your time is going to be. And, and to me, someone who, I, I've run a couple marathons, I've done a half marathon, I've, I've done 5Ks, I've done 10Ks, and this does not make sense to me. Like, I race so that I can win, right? There needs to be a winner. Racing is about winning. You, my wife will not play games with me. We don't play board games in our house because I like to win, and I don't like it when I don't win. So it doesn't make sense. Why would people sign up for this? This is, this is now the largest recreational kind of sport that's out there right now are these, are these challenge races. They, may, they sell out worldwide when they're going on and, and people are making tons of money off these things. But why are people flocking to them when it's not about your individual time? But if you if you ever talk to someone that's been through one of these, they, they finish the race. You say, "Well, how was it?" They're like, "Oh man, it was awesome. I, I it was just so fulfilling to to be a part of something that big, right?" We all have that desire to to experience fulfillment and, and experience transcendency. You know, something bigger than ourselves. That's why people that's why people get on sports teams or or join the military. They want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And and when we love God with all of our heart. We get to experience that every day. Not just once or twice a year when we go and we do a big race. Not just on a, on a Friday night or, or Sunday afternoon. We get to experience it every day. We get to experience that feeling of being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Because we're connected to God with all of our heart. And our heart has to do with our affections. Think about, think about the heart as, as the arena where all of your emotion and your affections and your passions lie. And it's, it's like the rudder of a ship that's literally steering your life because your affections are, are going to affect the decisions that you make. So when, when you love God with all of your heart, what you find is that, that He is your number one affection. So, so think about this. Think about how you spend your time. Think about what motivates your actions. When you think about that, when you get to the underlying cause of those things, then you begin to understand what is your number one affection. Another way to say that is is what you treasure most, right? You want want that thing to to be the ultimate thing in your life. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You you catch the order of that, right? It's, It's not where your heart is, there your treasure will be, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The, the treasure comes before the heart, and the heart follows the thing that you treasure. So, so think about that. In, in order to love God completely, we have to treasure God supremely. In order to love God completely, we have to treasure God supremely. If we're going to love Him with all of our heart, that means He has to be our number one treasure. That God alone should be the thing that we look to to, to place all of our affections in. And that leads us directly into loving God with all of our soul because if, if loving God with all your heart is about your affection and what you treasure most, loving God with all your soul addresses your, your devotion. And this is seen in your obedience to God's word and your, which leads you to then make godly choices. So loving God with all your soul is, is about your devotion. Okay? And when the Bible uses the word soul, it really is, is much bigger than, you know, we just talk about soul. You know, Pastor saw him trying to clap. He's got no soul. Uh, it, it's not like that. When the Bible talks about soul, it's talking about your inner self, your inner being, the, the place deep down inside of you where, where decisions are made about your lifestyle and about your behavior. Right? That's the soul. That's the inside of you, the suke, right? Suke is, is the Greek word. Sometimes it's translated life, sometimes it's translated soul. The idea is that they're connected, that they're one and the same. And so, so when we think about our devotion, uh, I, I think we could talk about this. I need your help. The name of this church is River Rock Bible Church, right? There's a reason we have Bible in our name. Right, we put the Bible in there because we recognize that the Bible is the sole authority on life. So when when we as a church look to make decisions, we make our decisions based on what the Bible says. We look to it to to see what what does the Bible have to say about this. And sometimes there's there's not a direct uh, you know there's not a direct correlation. There's not a one to one. You know, should I? Um, it's not like a, a magic eight ball. Should I? buy this house or not, <laughs> uh, ask again later. No, but the principles are there. The principles of Scripture remain, and so we, we look to Scripture to determine the decisions that we make, our, our devotion. Um, John fourteen fifteen. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. So when we seek to obey the commands of Scripture, we're demonstrating our love for God. And now uh, this is something that, that you may agree with or disagree with, but but when I think about love, when I think about true love, the kind of love that captivates your your affections and your devotion, that kind of love always expresses itself through action. Right? So a couple years ago, I was I was a youth pastor up in Dallas, and one of the dads, um close friend of mine named Tim calls me up and he says, Hey, i um, going out to the Deerleys tomorrow, season's almost over, this is my last chance to get out there. I know you haven't been all, all season, but do you want to go with me? And I was like, i got to talk to my wife, but yes, I want to go. Like, you don't have to ask if I want to go, uh, I always want to go. So uh, I told him, I talked to my wife, I was, I was at the, the, the grocery store and I was picking up her prescription because that morning she'd had her wisdom teeth out. So I was faced with the decision, you know, she's had her wisdom teeth out. She needs me to take care of her, but it's the end of deer season, and I haven't been all season, and I really want to go. And so I, I, I came home, and I didn't call her, because I knew she wouldn't be able to talk anyways, mouth full of gauze. And, and I said, look, here's here's what's happening. Tim's asked me to go deer hunting. Can I go with them? I said, look, I've got six shelves in the freezer full of ice cream for you. I I rented you all these chick flicks, and and you can sit on the couch and watch chick flicks. You're going to be on Vicodin. You won't even know that I'm here, even if I am. So so I'm just going to go deer hunting tomorrow, and, and I'll be back. I'll be gone maybe 14 hours at the most, and she mumbled something, but whatever she mumbled, I took for a yes, and And, uh, you know, went throughout the the rest of the day helping her out, and and I called Tim later that night. And when I called him, I said, uh, you know, Tim, I I really want to go, but I can't. Amanda had her wisdom teeth out. She's like, what? She had her wisdom? You were going to go deer hunting, and your wife just had her wisdom teeth out? What kind of husband are you? I was like, I know. I repent. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I wanted to go deer hunting. I always want to go deer hunting, but I'm devoted to my wife. So, I didn't do the thing that I wanted to do, I did the thing that love required me to do. I wanted her to know that I loved her more than anything, and I do. Right? So there are going to be times that that God calls us to do something that we don't want to do, or that His word requires that we abstain from something, that we don't do something that we really want to do. But because God is our number one affection, because we are devoted to Him alone, we Obey His word because we love Him. And that leads us to to making godly choices. We make those choices that that honor God, right? The more we do that. And and here's the thing about that is that that requires us to use our mind. Okay? We we have to use our mind because it's not just about knowing the Bible. Uh, We have to to then go on and apply it. So um, loving God with all your mind uh, is has to do with uh, excuse me loving God with all your mind involves your your reason, knowledge, thoughts, and your memory okay so romans twelve two says this be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right we want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and I, I love this point because i i 'm um, a thinker right my wife will will tell you that, that when, when we have discussions at our house, um, I'm thinking four or five moves ahead. Like, okay, I'm going to say this, and she's going to say this, or she could say this, and if she says this, then here are my five answers that are potential answers. But if she says this, then I've got these five potential answers. I like to think, right? I, I love it. And so when, when we talk about loving God with our mind, it's, it's about understanding and processing the Word of God and how to rightly apply it to our lives. That involves a little bit of thought. So the first part of that is reason. And reason is simply this, it's, it's thinking about and understanding and understanding uh, how to form judgments using logic. Do we have any left brain people in the room? I'm a left-brainer, right? You give me a system, you give me something logical, you say, do this, then this, then this. And I'm like, amen, brother, I could do that all week long. You give me a checklist, I'm happy as a clam. That's like, if, if I opened up a Christmas present and it was a checklist of things to do, I would be happy. Right? I love that kind of stuff. I'm logical. And, uh, but here's the thing. God is, is not always work on our logic, right? We've got to remember that the mind is the learner and not the leader. That revelation trumps reason. Okay, and, and that's hard for someone like me because I want to do the logical thing. I want to look and say, this is the logical thing. It must be in line with God's will. But there are times when, when God's word uh, or God impresses on us something that's just not logical from our mindset. But we're called to do it anyways. Think about, think about Noah, right? He's in the middle of, uh, well, he's probably in the middle of some sort of desert. Never rained before in his life uh, or in the history of the world. So this idea of a flood caused by rain doesn't make much sense. But God says, hey, Noah, I I need you to go build a boat because it's going to rain. There's going to be water that falls from the sky, and it's going to cover the whole earth. So you need to be inside that boat with your family. And and Noah's like, well, I don't know what this rain stuff is. I don't know what a flood is. And you're telling me to build this thing that is supposed to keep me from that. It doesn't make much sense to me. But Noah does it. He does it because he, he loves God. He's obeying God. He's obeying God's word. And the same thing happens in our everyday lives, that there are decisions that we're faced with, that, that through our study of God's word, we, we come to realize that, okay, here's how God would have me respond, and I don't get it. I, that's not how I would choose to respond, but this is, this is how God is leading me to respond. So I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna follow God in this and, and follow him here, and wait for my mind to catch up with that. Has anybody ever been there before? Man. Isn't that a great feeling when your mind finally catches up and you're like, oh wow, that was amazing. But there's a, there's a key to that. And the, and the key to that is, is filling our heads with, with knowledge. Um, when we talk about knowledge, honoring God with our knowledge, it means that we simply, we know God's word. And as we look into God's word and we begin to know him, we begin to see his character revealed. And as we see God's character revealed, we begin to understand that God's desire is for our character to align with his character. And so it's not just about, it's not just about knowing the right answers or, or knowing where a Bible verse is found, but it's, it's about teaching us and, and having knowledge, intimate knowledge of the person of God and of his character so that our character can be formed by God himself. That, ch- that changes the way we begin to think. Right? If, if you begin to allow your character to be shaped like God, how many of you remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? Right? That, that's causing you to stop and think, what would God have me do in this moment? And that's, that's about our thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so, as we look into God's word and as we begin to understand it more and more, our thoughts get shaped by Him. And our thoughts begin to focus not on how, how our immediate flesh wants to respond, but on how God would have us respond. And things like, like anger and rage and bitterness begin to fade away as we begin to replace those emotions with love and grace and mercy. The last part is, is loving God with, with all of your memory, right? If you, if you ever spend much time reading through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over again, God says to the nation of Israel, remember the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember when God did this. Remember when God did this. In fact, uh, the, the name River Rock, we've kind of attached to the story from Joshua where the people of Israel crossed through the Jordan River and God tells Joshua to send one man from each tribe back into the river to grab a stone. And that they would come and, not like a little little stone, but like a, a huge stone that they would pile up in a pile that when people generations later would walk by, they would say, that's kind of weird that these rocks would be all piled up like that. Mom, Dad, why are these rocks piled up? And they were to tell their children and their grandchildren what God had done, about how he He brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then they miraculously crossed over into the Promised Land. And then they began to possess the Promised Land. And so so as as River Rock Bible Church, we've kind of adopted uh, that meaning to to be, it's called an Ebenezer, right? It's a memorial stone that's been raised up, and that's what we want to be. We want to be a memorial. We want to be that Ebenezer to the world around us that they could see that Here is what God has done in my life. Here's the slavery to sin that I was in, but here's what God did to bring me out of that. And I want to stand as a testimony to that. And as a church, we want to stand to the testimony of the greatness and the power of our God that could take us out of death and into life. That's where we want to be, right? And and so for, for me, that memory is a huge part. In fact, we celebrated it last week. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. But here's the thing about memory is it's not just about, you know, having, having fond memories of the glory days or the good old days or the way things used to be. But the, the reason we're instructed to remember and to think back is because when, when you think back on what God has done, doesn't that just give you more faith and confidence to follow him again in the future? I mean, there have been times in my life, I, I trusted Christ when I was really young. I was about six years old. And so I didn't have a lot of these life experiences where I you know, recognized that I was really far from God and, and needed God and I came to faith. But there were certainly times in my life where, where I look up one day and I realize, man, I am, I am far from God. I'm not walking with Him at all. And as I think back on those times, I realize everything that God did to protect me during those times and everything that God did to show me His grace and His mercy to bring me back into a right relationship with Him. And as I think about that, that just gives me a deeper love for him. That makes me want to honor him even more. That makes me want to obey his word even more. To make godly choices even more. To let him be my number one devotion. And to let him be my number one affection even more. To fall in love with God more and more and more. So we've, we've seen loving God with our heart. We've seen God, uh, loving God with all of our soul and with all of our mind, and that brings us to all of our strength. Now, here's why I did this out of order, because because strength, loving God with all of your strength, is where heart, soul, and mind find that outward expression, right? So this is really where we begin to, to put that outward expression of our love for God into practice. First um, John chapter 3 verse 18 says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And so the implication there is not um, not that you, you can be as rude as you want to in your words and your speech, it's, it's really, let us not love with words and speech alone, but also with our actions and with truth. So as we talked about earlier, you know, true love demonstrates itself through action. So that's where, that's where we are with this, is that, that we want to be demonstrating our love for God through, through our action. Uh, and, and when I think about this, I think about serving God by serving others. Serving God by serving others. And, and here's a quick story. Last, last fall, I was uh, just starting this church planning process. It was unlike anything I've ever done. Been in ministry, vocational ministry for over 10 years. Um, but church planning was brand new for me. And it was, it was hard. It was difficult. Because part of the process was that every day, I would go to a different place in the city of Austin where I thought God might be leading us to plant a church. And, and my job uh, was to engage people. And, and try to talk to them about Jesus, right? Uh, that's, not, that's not my normal practice to, to just sit in Starbucks and wait for somebody to sit next to you and be like, hey, how you doing? Do you live around here? Can I tell you about Jesus? It was a little bit of a stretch, but that was, that was uh, preparing me for, for what God was calling me to do. And so I was out there doing that every single day, and it was great. Man, the stories that that, that I could tell about about just conversations that God allowed me to have is, is just amazing. But as I was doing that, I was about three weeks in, and I started getting these really painful bumps on my hand. And then a couple days later, I got these really painful bumps on my feet. And I thought, well, maybe I just got into some poison ivy when I was doing yard work or something, and no big deal. It'll, it'll go away in a, in a little while. And a few days later, I got these, these awful sores all inside my mouth. And so being the logical uh, left-brainer that I am, I was like, hands, feet, mouth, hand, foot, and mouth. Yeah, I need to go see the doctor. So the doctor confirms it. He goes, well, you have hand, foot, and mouth disease. And I said, well, usually I only suffer from foot-in-mouth disease. But, but he says, no, you've got hand, foot, and mouth disease. And he says, this is really weird. I only see it in little kids. I've never even heard of it happening in an adult. I don't know why this would happen to you. Like, it just doesn't happen to adults. And I called my dad. I was on my way home and, and telling my dad this story. And, and he goes, you know, that's, that's funny because, you know, think about what you're doing. Think about what God has called you to do. He's called you to go and serve people with your hands, to go to them with your feet, and then to, with your mouth, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So it makes sense that if, if Satan, if the enemy wanted to try to stop you, he'd attack your hands, feet, and mouth. So anytime I think about loving God with all my strength, when I think about serving When I think about ministry, I always think to that story. Thinking about loving, demonstrating your love for God uh, through all your strength. Serving God by serving others with your hands, feet, and mouth. All right, so let's look at hands first. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it vigorously. Right? Uh, When I was in... uh, when I was in band in high school, um, every once in a while you'd be playing a song and there'd be a big rest where nobody else is supposed to play, and somebody would go, huh? right? Some trumpet would like let out a sound, or you know, somebody would completely miss the rest, and our our uh, our band director would be like, "Hey, man, sin boldly if you're going to sin. Like, do it with all your might." Now, I don't think that's what that's talking about here, but but if we're going to do something with God, we shouldn't just do it like, huh? Right? We don't do things halfway. We do it with all of our might. And so serving God with your hands could be a number of things. It could, be, it could be playing an instrument. It could mean serving the poor, right? Serving someone a cup of soup. It could be going to a neighbor and helping them with, with yard work or, or housework. Or it could be going on a mission trip and working construction for two weeks because someone needs help rebuilding. Something like uh, Haiti or disaster relief. Really working with your hands. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. Man, it may be, it may be that you need to go home this afternoon and write someone in your life a note of encouragement. Right? That's using your hand to, to serve God by serving others. The next part of that is, is your feet. Now, when we think about feet, uh, we think about walking, and I, I want us to think about it a little bit differently. Not just, not just our feet, but, but think of it more of a mindset. Okay, so when we look at the Great Commissions, there's there's uh, really four times that, that the Great Commission is given. We find it in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we find it in, in Mark chapter 16. In Luke chapter 24 and kind of recounted in Acts chapter 1. And then again in John chapter 20. So four times we read Jesus commissioning to his disciples. And every time you read it, there is very clear language that Jesus is telling them that, that I'm sending you, you are to go. Right? So that being sent and that going is very clear language in the Great Commission. And how do you do that? With your feet. Right. So when we think about serving God with our feet, I want us to think more about a mindset of, of being sent and going rather than physically walking. Now sometimes it does involve physically moving. It may mean going halfway around the world on a mission trip, whether, whether that's long term and God's calling you to serve uh, overseas long term, or whether that's short term. Right? You can go. You're sent. But that's not all it includes. Sometimes going and being sent simply means going next door. In fact, there's, there's a great book uh, by Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. And it's all about personal evangelism. And the whole principle behind this book is that what if we just started engaging people in our lives with the good news of Jesus Christ? What if we did that? Like all we have to do is walk across the room. What if we all viewed ourselves as missionaries and we understood that, God, you have placed me in this neighborhood. You've placed me in this place of work. God, you, you, you have me on this baseball team or this sports team. God, you've put me in this school for a purpose. You're sending me here each day. I need to go there each day with a purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples. That, that begins with the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, right? So, so going, or, or our feet, is more about our mindset. Thinking, thinking about it this way, that God wants you to be a missionary wherever it is that you live, work, and play. That's your calling. That's what it means to be sent. That's what it means to go. The last part is, is uh, really closely tied to that, and that's using your mouth, Right, we can we can use our mouth to sing out praises to God. We can use our mouth to declare God's greatness from Scripture. Just opening up Scripture and reading some of the names of God or reading some of the attributes of God. This this is a great demonstration of our love for God. But but listen to Proverbs eighteen twenty one. It says, uh, "Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death, death are in the power of the tongue." And a lot of times. When, when we hear that verse, we think about, oh, well, that means, you know, we give life by building people up, and we, you know, death is when we tear people down and we make them feel bad about themselves. And that's true. That's absolutely true. We should be using our words to build people up, to encourage one another. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds, says Hebrews, right? But think about it in the context of evangelism. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You have the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the gospel message. That is the message of life. And when you speak those words out, the power of life is coming out of your mouth. Talk about life-giving words. What greater life is there than life in Jesus Christ? So that's, you know, we think about loving God with, our hand, with our, all of our strength, and, and that means serving God by serving others. What better way to serve someone else than to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them? You may have noticed as, as you look at this passage that it says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, and some people look at that and they say, well, did somebody just miscopy that? Was that kind of a mistake? Why does it need with all your in front of every single one of those? Well, that's not a mistake. It's very intentional. And the, and the purpose behind that is really that the, it's much larger than just thinking about heart, soul, mind, and strength. The real intention behind that is that you would love God with all that you are, all that you have. Every response, every thought, every action that you have would be honoring God, would be loving toward God, would be demonstrating God's love for you. That's the point. And now, as we talked about earlier, none of us can live up to that perfectly. And so we can be grateful that that our salvation doesn't depend on that. Rather, our salvation depends on our faith in Jesus Christ. But, but imagine if we just tried to live up to that. Not as, a, not as a way to earn our salvation, but as a way to honor God and say, thank you, God, that you have blessed me with eternal life. Now, I want to I love you with all, of, all that I am. Imagine if you just loved God with reckless abandon. How much would that change your life? How much would it change someone else's life around you? You know, at River Rock, um, we seek to love God by, with all of our heart by making Him our number one affection. With all of our soul because we want to be devoted to Him alone. With all of our, with all of our mind because we, we want to not only know God's word but we want to apply it rightly and we want to live it out. And a big part of that living it out means loving God with all of our strength and serving God by serving others and, and the the kind of the culmination of that is, is really telling other people about Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. And we believe that as we love God, as we grow in our love for God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, that that's going to enable us to, to better love our neighbor as ourself. But you're going to have to come back next week to hear about that. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we just thank you that that you love us so much that you would send your son jesus christ to die on the cross for us and that that we don't have to depend on our good works because they'll always fall short lord but we are dependent on your son jesus christ and because of that gift because of that good news lord we want to honor you we we want our lives to be transformed because of our love for you because we love you with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And God, we we want to use that to lead others into relationship with you. And so I pray this week, as, as we go throughout our week, that that you would help us to, to love you, that you would give us a desire to be in your word each day, that we would come to knowledge of, of who you are and, and understanding, and that you would begin to transform our minds, that we would rightly apply your word, and that we would that we would know in each circumstance how to live it out. And we pray for the people around us, God, that that we would begin to see lives changed as we have opportunity to to use our mouth to speak the life-giving words of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your son's name, amen.